We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Welcome to Weird Distractions Podcast, a weekly show where I, your host Alex, rotate in discussing true crime cases, paranormal hotspots, folklore, urban legends, conspiracy theories, a little bit of this and a little bit of that to provide you and more than likely what Guy Fieri would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. This week I am discussing a paranormal hotspot, but before I dive into said hotspot, I need to tell you what I need distraction from and on top of that, I have housekeeping. If you're not interested in hearing either of those, skip ahead about two to five minutes and get right into this week's distraction. In terms of housekeeping, to celebrate three years of weird distractions, I'm going to do an Instagram Live Q&A on Wednesday, April 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have any burning or weird questions you want me to read during the live show, please either DM me or shoot me an email at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. In terms of my need for a distraction this week, to be honest, I'm just feeling really overwhelmed with life as of recent, Um, whether it's because work's really busy or getting busy and there's a couple of changes that are going to be happening with that on top of just my personal life is picking up again because, you know, Canada has slowly dethawed. And now with it being spring, there are different events happening and things I have to go to and things I have to do. And to be honest, I'm just tired. I really just want to stay at home and sleep all day, which I know isn't the healthiest response to it. So I'm being mindful of that. But with that being said, let's get into this week's distraction. Let's sit back, let's relax, let's talk about something ooky and spooky. For this week's paranormal episode, I'm taking us down under to chat about not one, but two Australian haunted hotspots. So pack your bags and make sure to watch out for spiders as we wander to Airedale Mental Hospital and to its eventual sister site being J Ward. This is the second Australian-based location cover on the show this year, which I'm very excited about. Due to potential coarse language, discussions of abuse, and other adult themes that some may find disturbing, listener discretion is advised. Now, I am excited to be discussing an Australian-based haunt today, but for full transparency, this week's episode was actually supposed to be in Scotland. I had picked a Scottish castle to cover, but the history portion was really overwhelming to me, and I'm already overwhelmed with life, so as I was getting into it, I kept reading it, and I was like, how am I going to reframe this? How am I going to word this? And then I was like double overwhelmed with everything. So I went to Google my favorite search bar, typed in most haunted places, ended up on Wikipedia and stumbled upon Airedale. As I got into the history of Airedale, I learned about J Ward and that affiliation and just became even more interested. However, I will say I was also definitely a little confused for a solid 20 minutes doing my notes thinking that J Ward was just a specific building attached to Airedale, but alas, we will 
we'll get into it. I'm going to start us off with Airedale's history, which construction began for the hospital in 1865, and it would open two years later for patient entry sometime in 1867. The creation of Airedale, along with two other sister institutions, being Kew and Beechworth, begun in order to treat the overwhelming growth of individuals disclosing or demonstrating symptoms of mental health within the colony of Victoria. But it wasn't just for those that were in the community struggling with their mental well-being. From what I gathered, around this time period, the government of Victoria wanted these new institutions to relieve the prison system of those thought to have committed their crimes due to their mental health or due to their mental or cognitive health. Between these three institutions, Airedale was finished first. Airedale is located in a rural city of Ararat, which is within the southwest portion of Victoria. Originally, it was named the Ararat Lunatic Asylum, but for today's episode, I'm going to keep referring to it as Airedale. Interestingly, out of the three institutions built, Airedale was the only one built with a variation of a ha-ha wall. What? According to Wikipedia, a ha-ha wall, also known as a sunk fence, blind fence, ditching fence, deer wall, or a fosse, is a landscape design that creates a vertical barrier, particularly on one side, while preserving an uninterrupted view of the landscape beyond from the other side. Now, you may be wondering, okay, that's neat, fine, and dandy, um, but what was the purpose behind this wall design at the hospital? It's believed that it would convince patients on the other side that the walls were almost too tall in order to kind of prevent them from escaping, while from the outside, the walls look so low as to not suggest imprisonment. Basically, it's kind of an optical illusion. Like similar institutions that have been covered on the show, Airedale slowly but surely formed itself to be its own self-sufficient community. It would have its own market gardens, orchard, vineyards, a piggery, and more across an eventual total of 665 acres. The property would also have its own gallows, a morgue, and designated graveyard. However, some resources I came across claim that there is an unmarked grave on the property. So there might be a marked one and then an unmarked one. I'm not really sure. By December of 1886, the former Ararat Jail, which was located about 10 minutes by car from Airedale, would be rebranded as J-Ward. With this rebrand, it would also now focus on housing those who are deemed not criminally responsible or NCR. My understanding is that Airedale may have kind of absorbed J-Ward as part of its own, even though it wasn't necessarily on the property. Kind of like a satellite location, so to speak. J. Ward was only supposed to be kind of a temporary gig, but it actually ended up lasting, I think, a lot longer than anticipated. Similar to Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly's relationship, because honestly, did anyone see that lasting as long as it has? Because I didn't. Based on the Little House of Horrors website, some of the most well-known J. Ward residents include Gary Webb, a.k.a. Gary David, Mark Chopper Reed, and William Wallace. Gary, for example, was convicted after attempting to murder three people during a robbery gone sideways situation in 1982. In 1990, he was reportedly declared mentally ill by the government and would reside at J. Ward, which there is a lot more to his story, but I may cover it on a future episode, so I'm just going to give you a little bit of information now. Stay tuned for uh, a deeper dive later on. 
At its most active, Airedale would see up to 1,000 patients roam its halls and call it home. On average, it sounds like they would typically have about 900 patients per year, which I'm not sure if this included Jay Ward or not. From depression to epilepsy, Down syndrome, autism, anxiety, it sounds as if there was a wide range of different diagnoses that were treated at the hospital and at Jay Ward. Which may sound almost too broad in terms of treatment, but this is similar to other institutions of its time. And basically, if you were struggling with your mental health or born with a disorder or disease or some kind of illness, so to speak, this is where you would eventually call home, whether you went there voluntarily or not. And even if your home was also home to other people who didn't necessarily have the same diagnoses or concerns that you had. At max capacity, Airedale had a reported 500 staff, which if the facility's max capacity of residence was 1,000, 500 staff doesn't really seem like much. Speaking about staffing, let's chat briefly about the treatments at Airedale. One former staff member by the name of John Kavanaugh, who worked as a nurse educator, disclosed that over the years, residents were subjected to treatments such as restraints, so straight jackets, leather mitts, etc., and electroshock therapy. I'm sure many other locations around the globe also saw similar treatments, as we have heard in previous episodes and we will hear in future ones. Mental health treatment and language has come a long way, but similar to other asylums or facilities of this nature, in retrospect, things were dark around this period. For example, Jay Ward, according to a snippet from a newspaper called The Age, whippings and overcrowding became the norm for many, many years. Those that were residing in Airedale and Jay Ward are often referred to as lunatics and inmates, which obviously is not the terminology that we use today. And similar to other institutions, Airedale and Jay Ward also came under fire regarding alleged abuse of patients. According to a 1991 Canberra Times article, residents of Airedale claimed to have been neglected, denied basic human rights by staff, and systematically abused. Further, residents claim to have money or personal items stolen by staff and forced to share underwear, among other pieces of clothing, and supposedly they were denied any kind of recreation and denied access to psychologists, social workers, or occupational therapists. So basically, any staff that maybe were on contract to come visit them at the location, they were allegedly denied access for some reason. Residents also claim that if they approached staff about being sexually assaulted by another resident, supposedly it was often not followed up on or handled professionally. I can imagine staff may have been dismissive towards patients for whatever unethical reasoning they may have had, even if it was simply they didn't have the time to deal with it. With all these claims followed an investigation, which think whatever higher power is up there because I think if there had not been an investigation, we might not have known what was going on behind these closed doors. I'm going to use a direct quote from the Making History website to expand on this as I found that they really worded it well, and I want to highlight some of the other claims not already mentioned. Quote, on the 9th of May, 1991, Health Department Victoria revised a letter from a public advocate raising various issues of concern about Airedale, with reports of sexual assault, sexual misconduct, bestiality, physical assault, and theft having be alleged against staff, patients, and residents. As a result, Health Department Victoria Task Force was established to investigate allegations of sexual and physical abuse, 
unprofessional medical procedures, theft of patient and government property, and any procedures that breach the laws and regulations established by Health Department Victoria. Although some of the allegations display lack of evidence to be confirmed, several of the proclaimed breaches of duty of care by staff were found to be correct. Such incidents with substantial evidence include one intellectually disabled resident being labeled as the prostitute for the Airedale complex, in which she would trade sex for cigarettes and occasionally money, end quote. There are so many layers of this quote that you have to unravel, but I think the biggest thing is you are seeing staff that are clearly burnt out. They are maybe not even educated on how to care of the patients that are at the hospital and in J Ward. Because of this, you are seeing really negative behaviors and abuse from staff to patients and probably at some point patients to staff. I mean, realistically, if you're not implementing proper treatment or plans or programming of any sorts, you're going to run into issues that, like we've seen in previous episodes with previous institutions like this and what we'll probably cover in future episodes where they made these big institutions with the hope that, hey, if we get everybody who has a mental illness of some sorts or even a cognitive disorder of some sorts, in this building and away from the rest of society, we can fix society and we can quote unquote help them when in reality there was nothing else after that. It was like, okay, let's put everybody in this building and hope for the best when in reality the best really wasn't there, especially without programming, especially without any kind of formal treatment. And by treatment, I mean like actual positive treatment, not, you know, restraints and chains and all that kind of stuff. I mean, actual psychotherapy, which I know obviously as a species, We've taken a really long time to get there, but still, it's situations like this that remind me of how far we have come as a society in terms of treating various mental health conditions, cognitive disorders, you know, all those things, but yet we still have so much farther to go. With the investigation, a 117-page report about Airedale was presented to the state parliament in which the Minister of Health at the time claimed the report was extremely disturbing. After this investigation, some staff were either let go or disciplined in some kind of undocumented way, and I can imagine there was a pretty wide eye from the public moving forward. Jay Ward would close down in the early 90s, with Airedale falling behind it come 1993-1994. Some accounts differ, some say 93, some say 94, not really sure. Australia, like other countries across this floating rock, were moving away from institutionalizing folks and instead began offering community-based treatment like we see today. According to the Making History Oz WordPress website, J. Ward was purchased by the local council to operate as a museum under the management of the Friends of J. Ward organization. Airedale, on the other hand, is reportedly owned and operated by a school called Melbourne Polytechnic. Melbourne Polytechnic, according to Wikipedia, is a vocational education and training provider that has been operating since about 1910. Courses offered at this location include construction certificates, cooking based certificates, animal studies, furniture making, and more. Despite Melbourne Polytechnic being there, you can still book a tour of the hospital grounds on Sundays and Wednesdays through the Friends of J. Ward group. Speaking of tours, I think it's prime time for us to kind of get into some occult observations before we chat about the alleged haunts that are taking place at both Airedale and J. Ward. 
If you're a new listener, Occult Observations is a little segment where I read the good, the bad, and the weird reviews of the location we're chatting about. This Occult Observation is going to be a smidge different than previous ones, as I'm going to read the reviews of the Airedale Ghost Tour and the J. Ward Museum. I'll start us off with two negative reviews of Airedale, followed by two positive reviews, and then finally two negative reviews of Jay Ward followed by two positive reviews. The first negative review of Airedale Ghost Tours is by user Thomas Hall. It was posted about four months ago on Google Reviews and Thomas gave one out of five stars. The review reads, I have seen a video, but I did not go because I live in America. End of review. You know, if you haven't been to a place, maybe don't leave a review about a place. I'm just saying, just be respectful. If you haven't been, don't review. Simple as that. The next review is by user Stephen Hassam. They posted this about four years ago on Google Reviews and they left one out of five stars. The review reads, I was about to book a tour, but thankfully decided not to after being warned not to by travelers. Also, my advice to all of you travelers who refused a refund, please contact Consumer Affairs. Your consumer right to a refund is protected by law regardless of company policy, you are entitled to refund if product slash services are not satisfactory. End a review. But here comes a shocking twist. This might be the first time this has ever happened on Occult Observations. The owner of the Airedale Ghost Tours responded saying, quote, if we cancel a tour, we refund. Not sure where you got your information from, but thanks for the one star without actually attending. Which, chef's kiss. Love that comment. Once again, if you don't go, don't review. Period. Let's move on to some of the positive reviews. The first positive review is from user Alan H. They posted this about a month ago on Google Reviews. Alan gave five out of five stars and their review reads, Great tour with informative guide who takes you through the Airedale Asylum at night. No ghost sightings on our tour, but very eerie going around the rooms. Well worth a visit. End of review. The next one is from user Daisy Smith. Daisy posted this about two months ago on Google Reviews. They gave five out of five stars and their review reads... Two months ago, we went on a three-hour paranormal investigation with Jasmine as our guide. Jasmine was informative, inviting, and overall amazing. We had a fantastic night. Lots of mixed emotions rocking around the asylum. We heard footsteps, male voices, and lots of responses on the equipment. Would highly recommend to everyone. Thanks again to Jasmine for showing us around. End of review. Shifting away from the positive polys and into some more negative Nancys with Jay Ward, the first review about J. Ward is from user Mitchell Maddox. They post this over a year ago on Google Reviews. They left one out of five stars and their review reads, Maybe good for a ghost tour, but I would not recommend for a function or venue hire. Wedding party was double booked and not prioritized. End of review. I don't know if this is just me or not, but I feel as if having your wedding at a former institution or even just like a former jail to a degree is not the tea. Like, I, I it, it doesn't, I don't know, it just seems kind of weird. What are your thoughts? Let me know. Um, sucks that your wedding got double booked. Like, I get it, but like, maybe you shouldn't have it at a museum or at a former mental institution. I don't know. 
Anyways, the next negative review is from user Josh Lewis. They post this about nine months ago. Again, Google reviews. They left one out of five stars and the review reads, felt very forced and stage was very disappointing, dot, dot, dot. End of review. Now let's get into some positivity with the first positive review by Jenny Franks. They post this about five months ago on Google Reviews. They left five out of five stars and the review reads, an amazing tour. Sad to find out how so many people who were criminally insane were treated. Definitely a must visit. And review. And finally, the last occult observation for this segment is by user H. Bram Lee. They post this over a year ago. They left five to five stars and the review reads as follows. This was my fourth visit to Jay Ward. Easy to say I am obsessed with learning history. Carmel, our guide, was amazing, very knowledgeable on inmates and Airedale, extremely relaxed in allowing us to wander and take photos, and happy to answer any questions. It's a credit to friends of Jay Ward for all the hard work that was gone into restoring the premises. I will be back again and again. End of review. Finally, with the history of not only Airedale, but also Jay Ward discussed and occult observations done at both locations, let's get into the paranormal accounts. Airedale has carried the title to some as Australia's most haunted location, but don't tell the Monte Cristo Inn, who also holds that title. With an estimated death toll of 13,000 and a dark, questionable history, I'm not surprised why folks may have come to that title for Airedale. One paranormal account from Airedale involves the old superintendent's office and uncovers a horrible spot in the building's history. According to the Little House of Horrors website, visitors of Airedale who walk past the former office of their superintendent sometimes report that they get a weird, bitter taste in their mouth, seemingly randomly. At first glance, this could be just a weird coincidence that multiple people have reported tasting this bitter taste. However, in August of 1912, Dr. William L. Mullen, who was allegedly going to be the next superintendent of the institution, was found dead in his bed. It appears that Dr. William Mullen had died by suicide after ingesting cyanide pills, which are known to taste bitter. I'm not saying Dr. Mullen is haunting the superintendent's office and making people taste this weird bitterness as they walk past what was going to be his office. However, it is weird and therefore worth mentioning. Other spooky reports include people witnessing shadow figures and apparitions along with hearing disembodied footsteps. Visitors have also claimed to experience nausea, fainting, and pain almost at random while visiting the former hospital. The former woman's ward at Airedale is said to be haunted by a former nurse, referred to as Nurse Carrie. According to a direct quote from the U.S. Ghost Adventures website regarding Nurse Carrie, quote, her apparition, as well as others, have been seen in the women's ward donning old-time nurses' uniforms and disappearing into stone walls, end quote. Can you imagine being stuck haunting your job after you die? That has got to be some kind of purgatory. Speaking of people stuck in this workplace purgatory, let me tell you about George Fidemont. George was the last governor of the former jail, and allegedly one day in 1886, he was roaming around the asylum showing a group of folks the grounds. At one point during this tour, George and the rest of the crew were reportedly walking down a set of stairs 
when George suffered a major heart attack and died on the spot. It's believed that George's spirit may be responsible for folks hearing now random footsteps and random banging, which specifically is heard near the stairs where he reportedly died 137 years ago. Another weird paranormal report out of Airedale includes the former electroshock room. Supposedly, people have claimed to feel a tingling sensation in their head when they enter the room, which I'm not sure how you disprove this claim unless you automatically believe that multiple people are just bullshitting you with the same reported experience. While I let you ponder that, let's now focus on Jay Ward. Some folks that have visited Jay Ward have reportedly felt anxiety or sick with no known cause. Other reports people have made include feeling like they're in almost a trance-like disassociative state from when they enter Jay Ward until they exit. There have been similar paranormal reports at Jay Ward as Airedale. However, things at Jay Ward have been a little bit more aggressive in tone, with reports of people feeling as if they're being bitten or pushed while walking through. Former resident Gary David, aka Gary Ward, is said to haunt his former cell in Jay Ward, in which the U.S. Ghost Adventures website noted that he may be responsible for screaming at visitors to get out and for pushing them out of the door. Now, that's all the paranormal reports I could find online. However, if you have your own experiences at either location, send them my way. Airedale Mental Hospital and Jay Ward became a bit of an unexpected distraction for me this week. What started as researching a Scottish castle turned out to be landing on and learning more about two Australian haunted places that may be on my spooky bucket list now. As always, if you decide to visit either location, please do so respectfully. Both of these locations and others like it saw many years of trauma, neglect, and pain. So don't go around demanding to see a ghost without further learning about the history and respecting the grounds. Before I cap off for this episode, I do have one question. Do you think Airedale and Jay Ward are more haunted than the Monte Cristo homestead from episode 150? Let me know your thoughts over on the podcast social media accounts or shoot me an email. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else who will listen about the show. You can tell them to find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, and many more. If you're streaming Weird Distractions or any podcast on a podcast platform that allows you to leave a rating or review, please consider leaving a rating or review because that is the best way and the cheapest way, because it's free, to support your favorite podcasts. Another way to support the show for free and to never miss an episode is to follow along on the show's various social media accounts. You can find Weird Distractions over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My handle is at WeirdDistractI1 and on TikTok. Do you want to financially support the show and get yourself a little something extra each month? Why not join one of two tiers over on the Weird Distractions Patreon? Each month you get exclusive content, such as bonus episodes and bonus series, such as the Even Weirder series, the Weird Destinations travel posts, plus early and ad-free access to regular feed episodes. You can find out which tier is best suited for you by going to www.patreon.com slash weirddistractionspodcast. Shout out to my current patrons, aka my weird little family members, Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, 
Susan, Jennifer, Shadow, Courtney, and Cheryl. I love you and appreciate your support so much. Without you, Weird Distractions may not be what it is today. Lastly, I want to hear from you. I would love to collect your stories of paranormal encounters, too close to home true crime cases, maybe even some weird MLM experiences, or maybe just in general weird things that you've encountered so that I can continue to release the Listener Distractions series. And you might be tuning in for the first time and you might not know what I'm talking about. This is a series that Christy and I originally started where we would read your personal experiences on air. If you have a story you want to share, please email me at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. As well, send me feedback. If there are any corrections needed to be made after today's episode, please let me know. And as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye.